Hey, podcast family, this is Albert Tate. Thanks for tuning in to the Albert Tate Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying this season so far. Uh, I'm so excited to have my guest, uh, Pastor Eugene Cho. I had a fascinating conversation. It's all about moments that shaped us. Well, we have a conversation about how beginning again shapes us. There are seasons in your life where you begin and then you have a necessary ending and then you got to start all over again. You got to begin again. Eugene Cho is in an interesting season of his life where he's been committed to a ministry and a work for about 18 years and God tapped him on the shoulder and said, all right, it's time to begin again. How do you do that? Some of you are in seasons where you may have to start over. Um, and he inspires and encourages and reminds us, reminds us of what things matter most when you have to begin again. Get ready for an amazing conversation with Pastor Eugene Cho as we help you begin again. Stadia has had the honor of helping hundreds of great leaders start new churches. We have a passionate desire to make sure that every child on the planet can experience the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ through the local church. This vision compels us to ask one very important question. Who's next? Who are the leaders that God is raising up to plant new churches? Who are the leaders that, that will answer the call to say, I'll follow, I'll raise up this generation, the next generation to know Jesus Christ and to change the world forever? Are you ready to start your church planting journey? Perhaps you know someone who is. Stadia is ready to help and we'll be with you every step of the way because we won't stop until every child has a church. Hey y'all, I got Eugene Cho in the building. I'm so excited. Man, thank you so much for being here. How you doing, bro? I'm doing great. Sunny out here. Just had some Korean food last night. Hey, had a chance you. to chat at Fellowship Monrovia. Doing well, man. Dude, so good to see you. Um, each episode, we're having a focused conversation where we're talking about moments that have shaped us. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got a lot of cool stuff going on. And I thought about our time together and what would be a blessing to people. And I want to talk about um, the moment that shaped you. Um, the moment that I want to focus on with you is moments where God has called us to begin again. Okay. Moments when God has called you to begin again. Um, a lot of times God has called us to do big things. And then oftentimes we take a victory lap and think, "Woo! I did that big thing. I did it. I accomplished it. And then only to hear the tap on the shoulder when he's calling you again saying, all right, now let's begin again. Hmm. Let's do a new thing, even in the midst of all that I've done in your life. So hmm. with that, I feel like before we can talk about how he's called you to begin again, yeah. let's talk about what he called you to begin to, in, to begin with. Sure, <laughs> sure. Well, uh, just a big 30,000 foot view. Um, my family and I, we immigrated to the United States when I was six years old. I just share that because I think my life as an immigrant has mm. shaped so much of how I see the world. Wow. Uh, became a pastor right after, or called to minister right after college. And uh, pastor a church in Seattle called Quest Church. My wife and I planted that about 18 years ago. Wow. During that time, uh, we also started a nonprofit coffee shop slash music venue. It was one of three all ages music venue hmm. in Seattle while it was round. And uh, about nine years ago, we started a humanitarian organization called One Day's Wages. Hmm. 
And then like you, I love encouraging pastors and yeah. leaders and churches around. So we'll get a chance to travel here and there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So tell me about the moment. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what you began. So you started the church. Yep. Uh, tell us about Quest Church. Yep. And uh, what it was like to start that from the ground up. Man, you know, 18 years ago, I, I don't know... <laughs> It feels like there were limited resources and connections. I think nowadays there's a bit more. Yeah. And so I felt really lonely. I felt I was crazy. Mm. I felt like I was the only one. Maybe I was going through my Elijah complex. Am yeah. I the only one? And I'm sure there were others that were responding to God's call, but at least for us in Seattle to plant a gospel-centered, in the city, urban, multi-ethnic, intergenerational, whole gospel church. Yeah. I, I would talk about these things and it would just glaze over people's eyes. They, they just couldn't get it. Hmm. So it was really lonely. Uh, seven people gathered in our living room the first time. Wow. I think our first year, we capped out, capped out at around 30 people. Wow. So it's a very small uh, church, but God just kept us, kept calling us to be faithful in the same direction. So I think there's you know, a couple conversations. One is new things, but there's also seasons where God says, be faithful yeah. in the same direction, even if maybe the numbers or the results don't come in in the way that we want to. Wow. Uh, but that was kind of our call. It was really hard, so hard that in our first year, um, our church plant didn't lift off at all. And we had to just basically just get stalling here and there. Uh, so I was unemployed for a year, no income. Um, what else happened? Um, learned very quickly that a master's of divinity degree is useless to society. Nobody would hire me. Uh, couldn't get a job for a while. I don't know if you know the story, man, but uh, we were on food stamps for a season. No, I don't know the story at all. Yeah, we were on food stamps for a while. So you're pastoring a church. Pastoring a church. On food stamps. On food stamps initially, just because couldn't, we, we couldn't get started. Yeah. There just weren't enough people. Uh, and eventually, um, I landed a job. Uh, it wasn't what I envisioned. And I say this not to make it seem like that job was beneath me, but the job that I eventually landed, it was the only job I could land. It was a custodian at a Barnes & Noble store. Oh, wow. So, yeah, 5 to 9 in the morning, working as a janitor at Barnes & Noble. Uh, it was the cleanest Barnes & Noble store. Hey, I, I'll, I'll just say, shout that's out. What I'm talking about. Shout out, exit 181, Linwood. Um, <laughs> and did that for about a year. And, wow. But during that time, um, you know, God did some stuff in my own life. Mm. You know, what do you do when you're at a 40,000 square foot warehouse and you're alone there with just the store manager? You know, you, you pray, you wrestle with God, you, wow. you say things that maybe as pastors we wouldn't always say out loud to our congregation. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of our story. That's amazing. So I pastored in Peelahatchee when I first got started in mm -hmm. Mississippi, okay. small town in Peelahatchee, Mississippi. We had seven people. Okay. All right. Um, I was there for five years and we grew it to 14 people, doubled in size. <laughs> so I was preaching. I was sweating. Mm. I was doing illustrations. Mm with 10 people. Because you know, if we grew it to 14, you know that means 14 people showed up one day and that's the number we took. We was like, we are now 14 yeah, member church. That's right. While that's I was right. doing it, I had to get a job. Mm. Um, and I got a job at a pawn shop. So I was working mm. at a pawn shop wearing khakis mm. and a red polo. All right. Opening and closing the store with folks, man. And God did so much. It's amazing how often I refer back to that season. That's right 
when I want to reflect on God's faithfulness, mm -hmm. my sanctification, it's a very concentrated time that the Lord and I mm. had in those khakis and that mm, red shirt. That's good. Yeah. You know, this is, this is an important conversation because you know, when other leaders or pastors are speaking to us, they want to hear stories of success. Yeah. And I think that word is so relative. Yeah. You know, and so I think we need to give people the whole story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that God's evident in all of these things. Yeah. But there's a lot of refining and testing going on. I also look back at that time. And God saved me. Yeah. I, I felt like there was a rebirth that happened in my mm. life. Um, when, you know, you realize that sometimes it's easy to get lost in the lights and the crowds and the buildings and yeah. what have you. And I'm not, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful yeah. that God showed up in those ways as well. But when people ask me, where was the most formative time of growth in your life as a leader? I go back to Barnes & Noble, working as a custodian, uh, seven people in your congregation, uh, and being faithful in that moment. Yeah. So if things ever get bad, Eugene, we can do a pawn shop with a custodial company. All right. And we can we can hook it up. All right, let's do it, man. Chow, chow and tape. We'll, we'll dominate. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, seriously, we need to flash up on this video cast uh, a picture of you and khakis and the red polo. I know, I know, so, I know. I know, I know it's there somewhere. Oh, my goodness. Because, you know, you can tell that was the most painful part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my hey, goodness. Hey, $20 for the person that finds that photo. <laughs> <laughs> so the first year is rough. Man, when does Quest turn the corner in the sense of sustainability? Yeah. Good way to um, and you begin to get freedom to dream mm -hmm. and get out of the hustle because there's just a hustle with ministry. Yeah. Well, man, I'm just trying to keep the light. I'm just trying yeah. to survive. Yeah. But then when you get out of that mode and you start dreaming and start exercising and executing mm -hmm. some of the vision. Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, eventually, we started holding Sunday services. You know, we were meeting on a weeknight mm -hmm. for Bible studies, mm -hmm. study the book of Acts for the first year. It was probably a year into it. But even a year into it, we kept um, getting to a certain place and then regressing. Hmm. But when I look back, some of those regressions were really important. Mm. And the reason why I say that was because as we kept articulating, preaching, embodying our vision, it wasn't always good news for everybody. Yeah. So as an example, you know, uh, to be a multi-ethnic congregation as a response to the gospel was part of our birth it was our why yeah it was what god was calling us to do yeah but in the beginning it was predominantly all asians and mm. one white guy who had an asian girlfriend mm. uh, true story and but we kept talking about this call to be a diverse multi-ethnic congregation but not everybody was feeling it yeah and i still remember numerous conversations where people were saying you know pastor eugene let's just be honest we're an asian church Let's just be who we are, embrace it, and let that go. And I just kept believing that this is, God was going to use us as Asian Americans mm. to plant a multi-ethnic church. Wow. But we kept regressing because there were folks that were frustrated by that and they mm. would leave, mm. you know. Uh, in the beginning, we were all just 20-somethings with mm. an obsession to look cool. Right? <laughs> and then when people that were in their 40s or 50s would come, the majority of them just they couldn't stay. They wanted to, yeah. but they couldn't stay. But a handful of them felt like they were called to pave the way for others. Yeah. And so I, I think about the folks within our congregation who stuck it out mm. and were 
the ones paving the way. Yeah. At first, it was the, the non-Asians, the folks in the non-20s, then the folks with children, you know, and, and what have you. And so that's when we began to see growth take place. And not just growth in numbers, that was encouraging too. But when you see growth happen in a way that embodies God's calling yes, upon, yes. that's what gets me excited. Yeah. Spiritual maturity and spiritual that's right. growth. That's right. And I think there's a couple of lessons in that. Number one, don't fear or fight the regression. In anything you're doing, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, whether it's church, you will you will get some wins, but then obviously there are some strategic intentional setbacks, even if you didn't strategize them or if you didn't intentionally plan on them, That's right. there are gifts found in those. That's right. And in the midst of that, the other thing I heard you say, Eugene, was that it would have been easier if you would have just changed the vision. Mm-hmm and just said, we're, a, we're an Asian church, yep. would have been rocking, probably would have seen success quicker right. than you ended up seeing it, but you had a vision and you didn't acquiesce, you didn't change it, you didn't edit it because of the constituency that's there. Yeah, man, I, so I pastored at a church in the Burbs, it was a Korean-American church, and I love that church, and this is not me criticizing ethnic churches by any means. I'm just t- speaking about what God's deposited in my life. Yeah. If I wanted to be part of a predominantly homogenous Korean-American Asian church, I would have gone back to you that place. That, that, yeah. that was my Egypt. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Not for others, but for me, that was my Egypt. Yeah. And it was tempting. Yeah. Because even in the stories, even in you know the story of Moses, uh, for a lot of folks, after a while, Egypt sounded pretty good, you know, and so there was that temptation. Mm. Uh, it, it might sound a little arrogant, but for me, I, it wasn't that I had concern if Quest Church was going to grow. I knew at some point it was going to grow. Mm. My concern was, how will it grow? Would it become the church that God's called us to be? Or would we be about other things? Yeah. And again, it's not a criticism about other churches. No, I, I, get I just that. know that, um, you know, with leaders and pastors who are watching this, there's embedded charisma and leadership already. Yeah. And so it's easy to just depend on those things and take shortcuts, if you will. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, that's the lesson that I that I keep learning again and yeah. again. So now, 18 years later, give us a snapshot of Quest Church and what it looks like now after 18 years of investment, vision, and spiritual growth. Yeah, Man, uh, the scriptures from Ephesians about God giving us more than we could ever imagine. Mm. Um, it really is uh, beyond what we could have imagined. Um, God has been so faithful and gracious. Uh, so many stories, but you know, when you see people of all different backgrounds, of all ages, uh, even people that have different leanings or affiliations about other things gather together under the banner of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, it really is breathtaking. Wow. Um, and I say that even after this morning being at, you know, Fellowship Monrovia, it's breathtaking. Yeah. Uh, when you when we capture a glimpse yeah. of the kingdom of God. Uh, so the church has grown. About three years ago, we purchased a significant property in Seattle. Wow, this which was, is a big deal. It is a big deal. Lots of stories there. Yeah. You know, you can decide if you want to talk about that. But actually, even 10 years ago, there was a 65-year-old, predominantly Caucasian church who were our landlords. Mm. And they didn't have to. They were sustainable, no debt. 
but they began to wrestle with the conversation. What would it look like if we died to ourselves and gave ourselves to Quest Church? Wow. So that the next generation could flourish. Wow. And it was exactly, we, we were just stunned. Now, it wasn't an easy conversation. It took oh, three imagine, years for, yeah. that, for this congregation to navigate. But after three years, they said yes. Uh, it was maybe 60 members. Half of them joined our church. Uh, and with their gift of joining the story of Quest, they gave us a $7 million property without any strings attached. Wow. And that's also another uh, big marker that allowed Quest to keep growing and stewarding influence in the city of Seattle. So do you still have that building too? So that's what, after 10 years, we sold that property to buy the in new order property. to purchase. Um, Look I, at God. I think what they say is it's the largest um, Protestant church building in the city of Seattle. Um, and then last year, with a lot of 20 and 30-somethings, you know, shout out to these young folks. Uh, we paid off our enormous capital campaign. Everything is all paid for so that the mission of God can continue to go on. Wow, now I have building envy. Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> what a blessing. Oh, That's amazing. It is encouraging, man. Yeah. It really is. So to see God's faithfulness in that, and that brings me to this moment, which I'm sure there are probably several in your life, but I'm looking on Instagram, um, and I see that the church has captured you making an announcement. Um, and I'm sure what, lead, what led up to the announcement of you resigning from this church that you and your wife built from scratch, mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that process began with God tapping you on the shoulder, saying it's time to begin again. Tell me about that moment uh, or what that, that process and that journey, what, what, what was that like for you? Yeah. Because, like, and the reason why I say that is, bro, you made it. Like, yeah. you're the church planner's dream. Like, yeah. you planted your own church, 18 years, you own your own freaking building. It's time to kick up and let the youth pastor preach half the year on Sunday mornings, <laughs> get some couple of guys in, and, uh, like, you go to Hawaii for conferences every six months. <laughs> like, it is time to, like, you've accomplished a church planner's dream. I, I'm being funny, but yeah. in many sense, you own your own building, you got it. Yeah. Why? So to, to resign from that and to go on another faith journey is yeah. a little bananas. It's like, God, I believed you once for a lot already. Mm -hmm. Let's call it a day. Yeah. Man, there hasn't been a week that's gone by since the announcement where I've kicked myself. <laughs> I'm, honestly, a couple of times I'll kick myself and I'll just ask myself, what did I just do? Wow. Um, now, I'm still at peace with the decision. Yeah, of course. But, but yeah. there's a lot of grieving going on. Yeah. Um, but I think the reason why, uh, there's a few reasons why uh, my wife and I made this decision. What we tell people, A, is as founding pastors, and again, I'm not saying this is for all founding pastors, but you know, I've been chatting with a few founding pastors uh, that have been in their respective contexts for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, initially for mutual encouragement, just to kind of kick up our legs, talk shop, talk about leadership, talk mm -hmm. best practices. But eventually some of our conversations became a bit more intense as we opened up to mm. one another. And uh, one of the things that we realized is that barring some kind of a moral scandal or catastrophe, and that wasn't the case here, we realized that our church would never ask us to leave. Mm. Um, they would never ask us to leave out of their love for us, respect for us. 
And so we really needed to have self-awareness. Mm. Like, how are we doing? How are we doing in ministry? Are we doing too much, too little? Yeah. And so one of the things that I realized was that as a 48-year-old pastor, I just didn't have the capacity that I did 10 years ago mm. or even seven years ago or five years ago. Mm. And long story short, I felt convicted that I, it was time for me to fire myself. Um, and that it wasn't because uh, we didn't necessarily feel like, uh, you know, we felt like God was blessing that. So it was in response to A, there was stuff within our church where it required the senior pastor to be all hands on deck. And as I've been juggling numerous things, I was convicted of that. But also feeling the sense that God, in this new season of my life, been feeling a particular burden now that we've really helped a particular local church grow and thrive and be healthy to encourage pastors and missionaries mm. um, all around the world. Um, I've spent a lot of my time in recent years, not just at big churches or small churches, but it's been in rural churches, urban churches. It's been in huts, refugee camps, tents. Yeah. Um, and it's been very important to me. Yeah. And I really feel like God's been encouraging us. But when my identity is so interwoven into being the senior pastor at Quest Church, and I know it sounds weird, but if I can just be honest, yeah. it's a pretty sweet gig. Yeah. Sweet oh, no. Gig, yeah. And so many people know us in Seattle in that, in that way. That was the biggest barrier. I knew God was saying it's time to move on, but I kept thinking to myself, man, uh, this is comfort. This is stable. I love this church. Um, uh, as you said, you know we're uh, the church that a lot of people are aspiring to become. Um, but realizing, man, this isn't my church. It never was. Yeah. I'm grateful that you're at where you are, uh, but I'm also grateful that, man, it's ultimately God's church. Yes. There may come a time when God may call you 30, 40 years from now. Uh, so I like I was, that long runway, by yeah, the way. I like, I like it, that. man. 30, 40 years. That I makes like me feel comfortable. Yeah. That's good. But that's that's really the, been the season Well, for, the, for me, the irritating thing, and what did you find this irritating at all, that once you finally worked hard and found a place of comfort, God would call you to something different and oh, to disrupt man. that? Like, how do you process that with God? It's like, yo, bro, I just got comfortable. Yeah. Um, and, I, I'm, you know, I'm black, so I say, yo, bro, I'm not sure... Asian culture, how that translates. Uh, no, it's good, to man. God. It's good. Uh, no, man. It's uh, <laughs> listen. It's um, we have to be careful what we preach. Mm. You know, and what I mean by that is, this whole past year, the theme of our church has been deeper. That's the word that oh, God gave wow. us. Deeper. Mental note: Don't preach on oh, deeper. Oh man! And I, I, I confessed <laughs> to my church. I said, man, if our theme was coasting. I'm I'm your man. I'm I would be ripping it up here. That's good. That's good. But when you're preaching certain things because you feel like the Holy Spirit has deposited certain mm -hmm. words for your congregation, uh, you begin to also be convicted, mm. and that's precisely what's transpired. That's beautiful. Uh, is that? But it's hard, man. Yeah. It really is hard. Yeah. And um, I think. Uh, there were many seasons where, as pastors, sometimes we ask these morbid questions where mm -hmm. we ask each other, hey, can you see yourself dying at your church? Meaning, like, can you see yourself at this context for the rest the of your time, life? Yeah. And I'd always say yes, yes, yeah. yes. 
But I've also learned that um, God is always doing new things mm. in us. It may be in the same context, it may be in different contexts, but God's constantly speaking. He's always doing something new. And when we start coasting, we stop hearing, yeah. we stop, uh, basically, we start rooting so much that we're more in love with the, the gospel of comfort yeah. as opposed to a gospel of sometimes conviction or change. How long did it, how, how high did the volume have to get on God's voice until he really broke through. So in other words, God is literally causing you to change full course. And I feel like there are people who are listening, who are watching, who God may be calling them to begin again mm -hmm. um, and taking them a lot step. But now, if you're anything like me, he probably starts with a whisper. But if it's that disruptive, oh, I'm, I'm knocking that whisper off. He was like, I didn't hear nothing. Y'all hear something? I didn't mm -hmm. hear nothing. Yep. And then the volume gets a little louder and it becomes articulate and a voice saying, it's time to move. And then I start rebuking it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the, the devil, I, that's the devil. Because why would the Lord call me away from something that he gave me to begin with? Why would he pull me away? Satan, I rebuke you yep. in the name yep. of Jesus. Yep. And then you. eventually God is like, yo, fool. I said leave, you know, because sometimes he got to get like that with me. You know, yep, like like yep. with you, it doesn't seem like it was years of wrestling. It seems like it, his <sighs> voice kind of got Man. you pretty quick. No, it's been, it's been at least a couple years. Two years? I would say about two years. That, this, um, that, that the first time you began to think, my time may be up here. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But the reason why it's hard, identity. Yeah. That's huge, our identity. Because you found identity in this role, in this position. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's, there's something about we all want to be known in some yeah. capacity or another. Identity was huge. The other one, you know, as, a, as a father and husband, two kids in college, my youngest who eats seven meals a day, <laughs> um, there is a step of faith here. You know, we're not quite sure what we're entering into. Mm. Uh, we're relinquishing um, a salary, health benefits, things of that nature. Yeah. So there is uh, some risk involved, yeah. and I would be lying if I said that God would lead me to a particular place, and then I would go back in fear and say, how about this, and how about this, and how yeah. about that? And, and so this is the reason why when you were talking about the pawn shop, and yeah. I was talking about Barnes & Noble, we need to remember those stories yeah. very intimately. Yeah. And when you yeah. read the Old Testament, I feel yes. like God's constantly saying, yeah. have you not... And have you forgotten what yes. I did for you? Yes. And yes. so it's been a, about two years of yeah. wrestling, me regressing or digressing in fear, and God reminding me of his provision. Yeah. Um, Eugene, when was yeah. the first time you said it out loud, maybe, I'm assuming, to your wife or to some close personal friend yeah. of the internal wrestling that you had began? So, uh, you know, I, I can't remember a, a specific time with my wife because it's come up here mm. and there. Got it. But the minute that it really began to take flesh was, uh, mental note for some folks, don't do this. Uh, we led our church in a 21 day of fasting and prayer. Uh, and I thought this was for the church. And this is a good time for the church. Uh, I had no idea that during this time, God would really coalesce this into my really? heart, that it was time to move on. Oh, wow. And so I remember after the 21 days of prayer and fasting in tears, I felt like God was saying, it's, it's time. And that's when I shared it with my wife, and she gave me her blessing. That mm. She felt like, hey, I, I, I concur, I'm in agreement. 
uh, and that's when we share that with the congregation. Wow. Now, in a season of such disruption, where have you found joy and hope forward? Man, that's a great question. And I'll be honest with you, right now it sounds, it feels more like grieving right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, the best analogy I can give is when we dropped off our eldest kid, our daughter, mm -hmm. at college two, two years ago. We knew it was the right thing. We knew it was coming. But as we were preparing to drop her off, we started freaking out with questions like, is she ready? Are we ready? Did we do enough? All of those questions came about. And then when the day came where we dropped her off at our dormitories, put on a straight face, dropped her off, and got in the car. And I just remember five minutes into our ride back home, my wife and I didn't say a single word. We were just sobbing, you know. And it feels like that right now. Wow. We know that it's the right thing to do. Wow. But you have questions like, did we do enough? Is the yeah. church ready? Are we ready? Uh, but we're going through some grieving right now. Mm. But I think what gets us excited is this deep conviction that God's not yet done with us, mm. that God's constantly speaking new word, new vision, new dreams. And, mm. you know, as we both approach 50, we get really excited about encouraging pastors, missionaries, and leaders, mm. whether it be in small circles or large contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, we think it's really important. Yeah. And eventually, you know, I, I would love to be, uh, to join a church staff at some point, but I think the season for me as a senior pastor where I'm driving the vision, yeah. uh, I think I can pass it on to the yeah. next generation. But we love encouraging pastors and missionaries all around the world. Mm. And um, as, as you know, God's at work all around. Yeah. And we want to play our part in encouraging folks. Well, uh, great. I mean, if you're going to do that kind of global work, you should probably be in a global city. Um, Seattle's nice, but Los Angeles <laughs> is a great place to do that kind of work. And I just so happen to know a great church in uh, hey. Los Angeles and that would love to have you on staff. So you, I know you're crying now because you're driving <laughs> from the college. But as, as the clear, as the fog lifts, oh, man. Uh, I'll send some flowers and some candy to your wife. And All right. See if we can. Hey, uh, it might just require a couple coupons to K-Town Barbecue There you go. K-Town yeah. Barbecue, Koreatown Barbecue. Y'all, yeah. I mean, that would be cool. I'm so, um, I'm so inspired by your, um, your willingness to dream big and take leaps of faith at 48. Mm when you really could recline, um, you've allowed the Spirit of the Lord to push you to lean in in this season. And I feel like it's a great model for, for those of us that are in ministry and honestly, sometimes secretly hoping that we can get to the place to where we can recline. Mm. Um, and looking at 50 as the time when we actually do that. Um, but I think it gives us a good perspective to see, no, at 50, God's tapping you on the shoulder and calling mm. you to begin again. Mm. Um, for someone who's wrestling with the reality of beginning again and believing again, hoping again, uh, trusting in ways that are risky again, mm. even as you, by your own admission, are still in the grieving process of it, yeah. what advice and what would you say to encourage them in the process? Man, I'm repeating myself, but I just love the constant 
repetitive stories in the Old Testament where God says, do you not remember? Yeah. And I think before we judge the Israelites, it, we're, we're forgetful. Yeah. I'm forgetful. We all are. Uh, and so we have to constantly remind ourselves to look back yeah. and see what God has already done. Yeah. Because it speaks to his faithfulness that is constant. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I would encourage people. I, I really do think that some of our biggest dangers in our churches, in our own lives, in the lives of others, is when we become married to comfort and then we're able to spiritualize that in some way. For some people, it might look different. Maybe what they're called to do is to be faithful in a particular specific context for decades upon decades and what have you. But I also know that God is calling those who might be watching this to new seasons, and mm. um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Uh, trust God as yeah. you sh as you share. Trust God, and remember God's faithfulness. Yeah, that's so good. Um, at Barnes and Nobles and the custodian, did you have a uniform? No, no uniform. You no. could just wear your regular clothes. That's right. That's jacked up. <laughs> How they gonna have lower standards? Sorry, man. That's messed up. But you know, <laughs> just for our just for our um, film someday, maybe there'll be a screenplay. I will wear khakis. With you wear a the khakis <laughs> yeah. and do like a shirt with your name tag on. That's it. right. Uh, I do the. I mean, because we could write a book together, like pawn shop and custodian. <laughs> how God wants to change your life for that's greatness. That's right. That's right. That's right, man. <laughs> no, that's good. I um, I I don't want to get away without talking just a little bit about. One day's wages, yeah, yeah, appreciate um, that. And that work that you guys are doing, and does that play a role into this next season? You think? Or yeah, what's up it with does. That? It does. Right now, you know, it's just a small grassroots organization. For mm -hmm. those that have never heard about it, it's a uh, a organization that my wife and I started nine years ago. Wow. Uh, our tagline or our mantra is that we're a movement of people, stories, and actions to alleviate extreme global poverty. And so we do work around issues of maternal health, water, uh, building hospitals, schools, human trafficking. And in this next season, I'm hoping to spend a little more time with uh, One Day's Wages. It's been significant work. You know, in uh, about nine years, we've raised $7 million. 100% of donations that people give goes towards carefully vetted projects. Uh, in recent uh, months, I've been in Iraq, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine, uh, meeting with nonprofits, meeting with leaders, uh, encouraging but hard, you know, but a reminder of the fact that the whole gospel is really important. I'll just share this. One of the reasons why this matters so much to me, because both personal but also from a Christian perspective, it's personal because my parents grew up in extreme poverty. Yeah. You know, they share just heart-wrenching stories of having to literally eat grass because they were so hungry to fill the pangs of their stomach. My father, at the age of 81 last year, told me that he had lived in a refugee camp for some time. He had never shared that story with me. Uh, and so it's personal. Um, and now that we've been blessed, we want to make sure that we're giving back to others. Yeah. But I also love the fact that when you learn about Christian history in Korea, where uh, I'm from, these crazy Protestant missionaries came over. And not only did they come teaching, preaching scriptures, but they were the ones to help build with indigenous leaders 
the first hospitals, the mm. first orphanages, the universities. Wow. They really had a vision of the whole gospel wow. that we can sometimes forget in our world today. And so uh, one day's wages is really important to us, mm. and we're hoping that God will continue to bless it so that we might be able to bless and influence more people. That's amazing. We, um, we have what we call a question of the day at our church, um, where we just ask... Uh, questions and I end each episode with a just a litany of questions mm -hmm. kind of rapid fire answer yep uh, and I'm just gonna go through the list and yes, just have you it. answer the question we, all right we good yep if you could join any musical ensemble in history which would it be oh man uh, this would be boys to men oh nice yes Voice I to love men. it can't go wrong with that <laughs> um, what is something that everyone else loves that you think is overrated Avocado. <laughs> That's an inside joke, but I would say avocado. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, people in California are crazy about avocado. It's crazy, yeah. Okay. Uh, it's just like people in Seattle are crazy about their indie music, I guess, yes. or something like yeah. that. Um, is that still a thing, or was that just in the 90s? No, it's still a thing. It's still a thing? <laughs> yeah, okay, thing. all right. Uh, what other profession did you consider pursuing? Seriously or in my dreams? Whichever one is most invigorating to our listeners. Man, see, for me, it would be point guard in the NBA. Really? I love hoops, man. I just love hoops. And you got some skills. I had some skills. You had some skills. Two blown knees, two ruptured Achilles, but I'm still balling. Got it, all yeah. right. Because ball is life. That's right, balling that's right. Um, what is something that you're bummed that you're still bad at? Say that one more time. What is something that you're bombed, frustrated that you're still bad at? If this these in my life, I'm still bad at this. Mm. Man, it would probably be singing. Singing. That's the problem with the whole boys and men thing. <laughs> that's that, yeah. that's there lies the problem. Yeah. Still bad at it. Um, what is something that you used to say that you don't say anymore? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, I don't know. Um, I think it would be... Um, it's not so much what I say, it's what I do. And in my desire to stay hip and current with my kids, uh, I'm always three years behind, but it's dabbing. Uh, they're <laughs> like, stop, dad. You're, you're three years late. Stop. But I'm still dabbing. So you're still dabbing. I'm still dabbing. Hey, <laughs> go ahead. Hit, well, hit a dab. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, man. That was man, a dab, ladies man, and gentlemen. We, we just... We just dated this, this video cast, We just cast, dated man. it, dated it. No, you dated you. <laughs> okay. We were very current over here. No. Um, what's something that you pray about a lot uh, that you don't talk about often? Hmm. This sounds morbid, but it's joy in the last chapter of my life. Mm. My wife and I talk a lot about this mm. because we see so many people um, who I think have grown so cynical and mm. we don't want to grow cynical. Because, yeah. you know, after a while, you see so much stuff. Not to get all serious, no, but you know, yeah, when no, you yeah, see so much yeah. stuff, it's tempting to get cynical. Mm. And so we pray for constant joy in all of our seasons, chapters, including that ultimate last season, whenever that might be. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, when is the last time you had to say, I'm sorry? Uh, last week to my wife. Um, and, and it's not because she's a marriage and family therapist and we're talking <laughs> about this, but, you know, she will always, she, she will often tell me that 
uh, the best expression of love is when you pay attention to small details. Mm. Small details. And uh, sometimes as a visionary, as a leader, I'm yes. over here. Yeah. And so there was a moment where she said, hey, I need you to come down here. And so I had to say, I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's good. That's good. <laughs> what is something that is often misunderstood about you? Wow, that's good. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of folks don't realize that I struggle with people. Mm. I struggle with crowds mm. and I struggle with speaking. Uh, I'm a re uh, struggled with stuttering for a long time. Occasionally really? still work with speech therapists. Wow. You might not hear it personally, but even this morning I could tell my brain is wrestling with certain phrases and words. Uh, but as an introvert, uh, I wouldn't want people to perceive me as being cold. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that I, I, need, I need space sometimes mm. and I process things a little differently. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, what is an area of your leadership you're still growing in? Man, there's so many, but I would say that I am continually committed and want to be about um, you know, about depth, mm. and by that, I used to think, and it's depth and insecurity. Mm. It sounds really weird, but let me explain that. I used to think, when I was in my 20s, I would say, man, I can't wait till my 30s. Mm. And in my 30s, I would say, I can't wait till I'm in my 40s. And I just imagined that when, as leaders, we'd accomplish certain things, like we would just be not just yeah. coasting, but there's a certain aura of confidence. Yeah. I've actually found myself struggling more with insecurity. Wow. After being at this now for how many years? Wow. And so I think it's a reminder again that I need my identity to be ultimately rooted, not in size, not in buildings, not in programs, not in my social media followers. But ultimately, what does it mean for me to have this depth of knowledge yeah. that I am known and loved by God? Mm. It sounds weird. I, I never imagined needing to confess that. Mm. But as a 48-year-old-to-be, I still struggle with insecurity. No, I, and I think a lot of people would resonate with that. I don't think that's as um, unique as you may feel. I just don't think, yeah. I just don't think we talk about it that mm. much. Yeah. Mm. No, I can relate to that. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Um, last one. What's your, uh, what's your favorite curse word? <laughs> oh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, man. Is this? <laughs> you know, I, I'm a, these are holy lips, man. I just heard stuttering for the first time. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't hear it before. I just heard stuttering oh, for the first time. Oh, man. These the are funnest part, so we've, we've done tons of episodes. Yeah. The funnest part is yeah. the response to that question, the initial response, the initial shock on people's faces oh. is priceless. Oh, it's priceless. man. You can just do a whole episode of compiling people's facial expressions. Yes, literally, literally. My favorite curse word. Uh, that, you know, this is probably where some of my Korean language comes in, <laughs> you know, because folks that speak English wouldn't get it. Uh-huh. Um, 
but uh, it would be the equivalence of the shoot with a different with a different vowel in the yeah, middle there. But you yeah. say it in Korean. That's right. Nice. Yeah, but I can't say it now. No, no. Because my, my mama might be watching your this. Mom, uh, hopefully yeah. your mama's going <laughs> to watch it. Yes. Dude, it was an amazing to have you here and to have a great conversation yeah. with you. My Thank joy, you so man. Much. Thanks so much, brother. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. All right. That's good.